Welcome to the 135th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, a look back at the NCAA Final Four National Championship game and our predictions for those, and a look at the NBA playoff picture as the regular season reaches its final week. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, and we will start in the NBA where Patrick went 2-2 two and two in his predictions. In NCAA basketball, Patrick also went 500, going 1-1 one and one in his predictions, meaning Patrick was 3-3 three and three overall this, this week in his weekend predictions, bringing him to a 383 and 268 overall record, a 58.8% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your predictions? Well, first of all, I do want to clarify, uh, I did get the Suns and the Nuggets wrong, but I had the Heat on my website. I just assumed that I was picking home teams on my Instagram, which is sometimes what I do. So I didn't move the win-loss thing, and I did have the Heat. Uh, I think the Heat did win. The Heat did win that game. That is who I intended on picking. Uh, but the Bulls, I guess, were the team that ended up going out on the off of my graphic. But I realized that like a day too late, so I wasn't going to go back and change it on Friday. Uh, but so yeah, that that resulted in two and two. The Warriors went on a, an 18-0 run off of six straight threes off of Draymond Green three, uh, not Draymond threes, but Draymond screen assisted threes by Clay Thompson and Jordan Poole to take the lead over the Jazz, and then they ended up closing out that game. Uh, good for the Grizzlies to get that win, but probably doesn't matter too much. They're, I mean, th- the whole seeding for 1, 2, and 3 in the West is basically, I mean, the Suns are seven games up on the Grizzlies, and the Grizzlies are five games away from the third seed, so those three spots are locked in that it will be Suns, Grizzlies, and somebody else. Uh, so th- th- I don't know how much those two teams were playing. I don't know how hard they were playing. i got to admit I wasn't watching the game myself, uh, but yeah, overall, I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I definitely didn't expect the Timberwolves to uh, come out and beat the Nuggets on their home floor, but I guess the Timberwolves are playing hard to try to get into the playoff bracket. They know they have to beat the Nuggets to get there, so uh, they played hard, uh, and credit to them for that. And then uh, not counting the championship game in college basketball, because I think that would be unfair to say that no matter what the matchup, I would have picked Kansas, because I didn't actually specify that. I probably would have, but that's hindsight. If you would have put me on the podcast again, I might change that. So we're just leaving that one as uh, un- as as no record there. But I did have Duke initially to beat North Carolina, and then Kansas beating Duke anyway. So I probably would have picked Kansas, but again, that's that's hindsight, obviously. So can't say much about it. Uh, but we're gonna go with one and one there. I picked the Duke game wrong and the Kansas game right. We both did the same thing. The scores weren't necessarily entirely off, uh, but. I think I said that Duke was going to win, I want to say I said 85-80, to 80, and it was only four points off in both directions except for the wrong team winning, too. But I guess it's not... T- in terms of the pace of the game, I think I was pretty accurate with that. But uh, overall, a decent week. All right. Well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted, as always, on our website on Thursday. Let's now turn our attention to the NCAA tournament. Starting with those Final Four games, as Pat- Patrick mentioned... Number one, Kansas did win their game over number two, Villanova. Final score there, 81-65. to And as Patrick just mentioned again, number eight, North Carolina, did upset number two seeded Duke, 81-77. Patrick, your thoughts on those games? Well, I think North Carolina and Duke was possibly, if the game wasn't within a five-point margin, it would automatically be the most overhyped game of all time because that was all anybody could talk about the entire week. Definitely had to do with Justin Moore's injury because I think people never gave Villanova much of a chance, and I think pretty much right to do that. Uh, I think everybody knew they would keep it close and they'd make some runs in the game to make it not 
an insurmountable lead, but in the end, Kansas would win out, and that is pretty much exactly what happened. I think Villanova had multiple 8-0 runs or better, maybe two or three of them in the game, but Kansas started out on a 10-0 run, and the deficit that they had created right at the beginning of the game was just not enough for Villanova, or it was too much for Villanova to be able to be to overcome that. Uh, so Kansas won that game pretty easily and obviously pulled away at the end to make it a 16-point game and make it look even worse than it actually was. It got closer in the middle of the second half, uh, but in the end, Kansas definitely did pull away for sure, and they, there was no doubt that they were going to win that game by probably like the four or five-minute mark in the second half. Uh, but that Duke-North Carolina game, it was another classic Duke-North Carolina game. I think there's no other way to describe it. It was a great back-and-forth game and had good pace to it. It wasn't a slow, grindy game that, that sometimes happens in college basketball. Uh, whenever you have one team scoring in the 80s and the other team in the, in the high 70s, it's automatically a good game because you know there was some good shot-making. That doesn't happen by chance uh, in college basketball, uh, no matter how fast the teams are playing. And I honestly don't even think it was played at a ridiculous pace. I think it was played at a pretty normal pace, but I guess normal pace for these two teams is maybe higher paced overall in terms of the larger scale, but pretty normal pace for a tournament game, I'll say too. And uh, uh, overall, it was just a good rivalry game that felt like it shouldn't even be in the final four. In the final four, it should be something completely separate, like its own thing. Like, I mean, Duke, North Carolina feels like it can't be involved with the NCAA tournament, obviously, because it's never happened before until this game, but it felt good to have it with even higher stakes because it always feels like it has some uh, impact on the championship, even though it basically has none other than ACC tournament, maybe if it's there, or ACC regular season seeding into the conference tournament, uh, if they're close in the standings overall, but overall this game actually did have a very real impact because one the team who lost was going to end up having zero chance of going and fighting for the championship which is something that has never happened before in that series and uh it was a great game and obviously it's the end of coach k's career but we've talked about that enough and i'm pretty sure everybody else has talked about that enough so we're going to gloss over that and move on to the championship game all right well so let's move to the national championship game where number two kansas Eked out a win over number eight North Carolina, seventy-two sixty-nine, in what was a fantastic basketball game. You said number two Kansas there, but number, Sorry, number one, one seeded Kansas. They were the lo- they were the only one seed remaining for what since the Sweet Sixteen when Gonzaga and Arizona also lost. Uh, and crazy enough, I think th- I think they said now it's the fifth time the fifth tournament in a row where the one seed has won the NCAA tournament, which is uh, it's crazy to think that this tournament has so much chaos. There was only one one seed from the Sweet 16 on, and yet, somehow, in in the end, you end up with a one-seed winning. Last year, you had an 11-seed taking a one-seed to overtime, and in the end, the other one-seed comes out and they win it, obviously, that being UCLA against Gonzaga, and then Baylor just beat Gonzaga anyway. Uh, and by the way, that was t- still two one-seeds, but crazy roads always to get to the tournament and to get to the finals, but y- you see it all the time. I think it's reflected in the Ken Palm stat that... It always ends up that the top 20 in offensive and defensive efficiency teams always win the tournament, and I think that's a reflection of the fact that there are teams who get all the way there, but there aren't teams that finish the job who aren't upper echelon teams throughout the entire season. They don't have to be the best, but they do have to be. They do have to be somewhat there. They have to be in the mix. Uh, I mean. There are teams that that are in this mix that are that were close to it that weren't necessarily top of the line teams. I mean, if Texas had played well enough on offense, they were 26th and 14th, 26th in offense, 14th in defense. If they had won the title, they definitely would have been in the top 20. And you know, they didn't have a great season, but 
that is what it takes to be in that category. You have to have at least some sustained play that that metric likes. I'm not saying that that if you're not Ken Palm top 20, it's impossible, but the stat indicates that it's common, and in the end, Kansas ended up number six in offense and number 17 in defense. They slightly improved on offense from the start of the tournament and got way better on defense, and we said Kansas, Villanova, Kentucky, there were a bunch of teams that needed to play championship-quality defense to make it there. Villanova made it in before the Final Four. They ended up 23rd. So you can see that that ended up being the downfall, and you can even see in that last game that North Carolina only scored 69 points, even as a very, very strong offensive team. So Kansas ended up pulling it out by virtue of their defense in the second half, because I'll, I'll say this game was an exact repeat of that of that Miami game, just against a better team. If you look at the Miami game, Kansas was down six at the half. They were playing poorly. Their offensive stuff wasn't their their shots weren't falling. Ochai was missing free throws, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, it, it, the same thing happened where Miami was up six at the half, and Kansas just turned it on, made a really quick run at the beginning of the second half. They ended up winning that game by 26, so it was well, a little bit different. They, down they outscored them 47-15 to 15 in the second half. However, against a better team, same number of points in the second half, 47. They outscored North Carolina 47-29 to 29 in the second half. Uh, the 40 points that they had given up in the first half were a reflection of what would be their downfall if they were to not win the title, their defense, and the second half only giving up those 29, limiting North Carolina down and scoring very efficiently on their own was the reason that they ended up winning the title. Their offense had been great all year, and they could lean on it. They had all their players playing well. McCormick played well. Remy Martin played well. Ochai played well. Anybody you want to mention did play well on this team. I mean, you you had five players in double figures. You had Remy Martin with 14 off the bench. You had Abaji with 12, Brown with 12, McCormick with 15, and Jalen Wilson with 15. So everybody very, very balanced scoring overall, and they got just what they needed out of every player, uh, and including 10 rebounds from McCormick and 12 from Christian Brown in the end, to uh, eke out the win. Yeah, well, some credit goes to North Carolina for a, for a gutty fight, a team that isn't very deep to begin with. And was dealing with injuries, injuries before the game, injuries during the game, game. wind knocked out of them. Yeah, I a lot of there, stuff. There was a wind knocked out of player vomiting on the floor. There yep. was a twisted ankle. Yep. Baycott hurt his ankle again. Yep. Um, they, as you mentioned, at the end of the game, they had a player on and the Leaky floor. And Leaky Black had foul trouble, too, that yeah, he was in. they had a player in. on the floor what, who hadn't played in several weeks out there for the last shot. Yeah, Kerwin Walton. So, they had several weeks, several months, actually. But uh, overall, they, they, had an end, they had a crazy end to the season, and uh, they played well above their expectations for who had to play the minutes at the end of the season, honestly, especially with Leaky Black and foul trouble. Puff Johnson even pitched in with double figures. Uh, I think Puff Johnson had the same amount of points as Ochai Abaji in this game. Well, 11 to 12. But uh, everybody for them scored evenly too, but they normally need that one guy to go off. Davis was 5 of 17. Love was 5 of 24 from the floor. Baycott was 3 of 13. So no one shot well enough on North Carolina for them to win the game. They were in the game because of the fact that they had 24 offensive rebounds. Uh, And I will say... Uh, R.J. Davis had six offensive rebounds. That's how you knew how well they were rebounding. R.J. Davis had a 15 and 12 with 12 rebounds. It's ridiculous. They had three guys with double-figure rebounding, Baycott, Manic, and R.J. Davis. But overall, just completely cold shooting the whole game. Kansas outshot them by 14% from the, for the, from the three-point line and 12% from the field, and yet barely eked out the win because also North Carolina, 18 of 22 from the free-throw line. Kansas, 8 of 14, less opportunities way less makes, uh, but overall, I mean, Baycott was 9 of 13 from the line, too, so that was 3 of 13 from the field, 9 of 13 from the line, but 
Still, no one was efficient enough to carry to carry them. I mean, Manic was four of eight. Puff Johnson was five of nine. But when Puff Johnson's their most efficient shooter, they're not going to win games. Yeah, again, a very entertaining game. As we were saying while we were watching the game, reminded us a little bit of the Baylor game that Carolina hung on to win, but they didn't have the same uh, size of a lead in this game. And they were also playing a definitely a better, better team, team this game. Yeah. All right, well, that wraps up our look back at the NCAA tournament. Now let's turn our attention to the NBA. Well, with less than a week left in the NBA season, we're now going to take a look at what could happen in the rest of the NBA season, starting with some questions in the Eastern Conference. First question, Patrick, Miami has separated itself from the other teams that were in the top four slots, Boston, Milwaukee, and Philadelphia that we discussed last week, uh, separated itself from those teams that were vying for the Eastern Conference number one seed. They are up two games on the second-place Celtics. So how do you think the Eastern Conference shakes out seeded one through four? Well, I think the Heat with the two-game lead on the Celtics and also a two-and-a-half-game lead on Milwaukee and Philadelphia will take the one seed just because of that lead, honestly. Uh, the Celtics play the Bulls, Bucks, and Grizzlies, so I say they slip to the fourth seed by losing to the Bucks and one of, one of those other games, I, I, I think maybe to the Bulls. Uh, probably to the Grizzlies, actually, because the Grizzlies have played well with or without John Morant, and John might even be coming back uh, instead of resting that game because he's been out for a while. Uh, so who knows? But I think the Bucks get the two seed because they take it seriously enough, and I think they are the best team in the East right now, at least with Robert Williams injured for the Celtics. So I think that overall their talent wins out, and they take everything seriously, and they know that that two seed is important to get home court advantage. In the, se- in the semifinals, and I think they just take it seriously enough, go 3-0, and and with the tiebreaker over Philadelphia, even if Philadelphia goes 3-0, and because by the way, they play the Pacers twice, so they're pretty much guaranteed to go at least 2-1, and and then the Raptors, uh, I think they have a good chance of getting the second seed too, but I think that even though they will go 3-0, and I think Milwaukee will also go 3-0 and and take that tiebreaker. Still, Philadelphia probably on paper the most likely based off of their opponents, but based off of who's on the Bucks themselves, I'm going to say the Bucks are going to win enough games to get over Philadelphia and stay over Philadelphia to take that two seed. All right. Uh, well, Chicago and Toronto are tied right now for the fifth seed in the East, and it appears that neither will drop to the play-in game as they're three games ahead in the loss column with four games left. So between Chicago and Toronto... Who takes the five seed and who gets the six? Well, the Raptors play the Hawks, the Sixers, and Houston. I think they'll go one and two with Atlanta playing hard to try to get home field for the play-in and actually try to get out of the play-in because that's technically still possible. Uh, and that will be the first game uh, after this little Monday hiatus because of the champion, the national championship game. There are no NBA games today. I think that game's probably tomorrow. Uh, and I think that since it's that early game, I think the Hawks will be still playing hard knowing that they still have a chance although a very, very small chance they can still get out of the play-in bracket. So I think they're going to try hard enough. I think the Hawks are going to beat the Raptors, and I think the Raptors will go 1-2. and two. Uh, But then I think the Bulls, with their schedule, they play Milwaukee, Boston, and Charlotte. Their schedule's just too hard. I think they also go 1-2. and two. I think the Bulls will try. I think, sorry, I think the Bucks will try, as I said. I think they'll go 3-0, and oh, and I think Boston uh, will win that one game. I think out of those three, I think that's the one game they're going to win. I think they're going to go 1-2 and two and lose to the Bucks and to the Grizzlies, but beat the Bulls. Uh, and overall, and that's, by the way, that's why I have them going to the 4 seed, because they might go 0-3. <laughs> uh, but then I think the Bulls will beat Charlotte, but they do have the tiebreaker, so they'll end up as the 5 seed anyway, because I think there is a chance that they can also beat Boston on top of that, and they might just end up not even needing the tiebreaker. Uh, but I, and, and even if the Hawks uh, end up losing that game to the Raptors, I think they, they still have a good chance of being tied. So overall, on the percentages, I'll take the Bulls because of that tiebreaker. Okay, well, the play-in games, as we talked about, aren't locked for certain, but they pretty much look like 
they're locked with Cleveland, Atlanta, Charlotte, and Brooklyn in those playing games. But as we mentioned a little bit before, we talked about Atlanta. So does Atlanta or Cleveland uh, claw their way out of the seven or eight spot? Well, Toronto has an easy game against the Rockets that would lock Atlanta out of contention if they won that game, and I think they will. Uh, I say they win that, and I think because Cleveland plays the Nets and the Bucks to end the season, I'm giving Toronto the definite edge to keep the sixth seed. Okay, well, so with those four teams locked in that play-in, um, who emerges from the play-in bracket between Cleveland, Atlanta, Charlotte, and Brooklyn? I think Cleveland is going to be good enough. I think Cleveland's going to beat Atlanta, and then I think Brooklyn beats Charlotte. I, j- I Brooklyn won't lose in the first play-in game. I can guarantee that won't happen. I don't know if they will make it into the playoffs. I'm going to pick them to beat Atlanta, but they did just lose to Atlanta on the road with Kevin Durant scoring 55 points on 29 shots. Uh, If they they play like that again on defense, they are going to lose to Atlanta. I I will say that 100% confidently. However, I do think that they'll turn it up to an an even higher level, and I just think that overall... The Nets are now going to take them too seriously because of that loss that they just took, and I actually think it'll have a reverse effect where now they'll really be really, really pressing hard in that game, and they'll be completely locked in knowing that it's playoff time. They have players with playoff experience. Patty Mills, you know, there were some plays, if you watch the highlight package of Kevin Durant complaining about their bad defense, a lot of the plays were made by Patty Mills, uh, and also a lot of other guys that are longtime NBA vets who have been on many, many playoff rosters. They're all smart enough to know what it means when you're in a when you're in a one game situation of elimination. Uh, so I think overall the Nets will play harder and they'll beat Atlanta. And in the end, we'll have Cleveland coming out from that first game and then Brooklyn coming out from the second game or from the third game, I guess, after winning that first game. By the way, I do think that if Cleveland falls out and Atlanta is the one who beats Cleveland in the end, and and that's a very likely scenario, I do think Brooklyn beats whoever ends up falling out of Atlanta and Cleveland. I think no matter what. That's going to be, they're basically every game here is a winner go home. I, I think that it's almost a death sentence for Cleveland or for Atlanta to have to play Brooklyn. Uh, and I think that if Atlanta gets home court, I would take Atlanta too. But right now I'm going to say Cleveland ends up with the home court and they end up beating Atlanta. But if Atlanta is able to take that home court, give me Atlanta for that game too. So overall, final answer, Cleveland, Brooklyn. All right, let's move over to the West uh, where we have Golden State and Dallas locked in a battle for the three seed. Golden State's up one game with three to play. Uh, who takes the three seed in the West, and who settles for the four? Before we even talk about this, it's quite interesting that, uh, first of all, it happens in the East, too, with Brooklyn being in the play, and you almost don't want the one seed, which is part of this. Uh, but also, you can, with Dallas or Golden State, you never know who who anybody wants to play, and it works on the flip side, too. But I will just say they will just set up how they want to set up. I don't think either of them are play are afraid of playing either Denver or Utah. I don't know who's going to rest who and when they're going to rest those players. It might be all three games. It might be just two. It might be just one. It might be none. Uh, And I have a feeling that the Warriors will rest more players because a lot of their guys have been injured or coming off of injuries. Obviously, Draymond had his back injury in the middle of the season. Klay Thompson hadn't played in like forever. Curry has already ruled out for the rest of the regular season. So with those three in their situations, if the Warriors are playing that depleted of a roster, I'm just going to say they're going to rest more players and they're going to end up tied with Dallas. Uh, While that would give Dallas three seed because they have the tiebreaker, that's what I see without looking at their schedules. By looking at their schedules, both of them should go 3-0. I think the Warriors rest their last game, end in a tie, give Dallas the three seed. Dallas plays Detroit, Portland, and San Antonio to close the season while the Warriors play the Lakers, San Antonio, and New Orleans. So the best team either of them plays is currently the nine seed in the West, that being New Orleans. 
Uh, they should none of them should lose. But I think if New Orleans is playing for playoff seeding, uh, which they very well might be in that final game when the Warriors are playing them and the Warriors are resting, they might end up losing that one extra game, and that would give Dallas the definite edge, even without having to have that tiebreaker decide who ends up in la- who ends up in third and who ends up in fourth. All right. Well, similarly, Denver and Utah are locked in a battle for the five seed with Denver up a half a game. They're tied in the loss column. Who gets that number five seed in the West? Utah, I th- well, before I say their schedule, it is very, 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 very important that you have to look at these teams' schedules uh, with, with only a few games left. Utah plays Memphis, OKC, Phoenix, and Portland. Denver plays San Antonio, Memphis, and the Lakers. They will easily win that Lakers game because the Lakers season will be over before that game, and I think they'll take it seriously enough to win one of those games against San Antonio and Memphis. Maybe even both because Memphis is locked in the two-seed and you never know who they'll be resting. But the Jazz swept the regular season series, however, so Denver will likely need to go 2-1 and and hope the Utah goes 2-2 and to end up with the four. Uh, it really is a toss-up. I see Denver going 2-1 and or 3-0. and I see Utah going 2-2 two and two at worst because they're going to beat Oklahoma City and Portland, uh, two of the most tanking teams there are in the league uh, right now. So they're going to win those games at least and probably beat Memphis or Phoenix when they're resting players, I would assume. But if they don't rest players, that might be a different situation, but I think they will. Uh, I think they might win both of those two or at least one, and I think Denver will lose one of their other games, sending it to the tiebreaker that Utah owns or Utah just winning that straight up. I say Utah has a 60-40 chance to get it, but an unknown factor here is if the Warriors slide to the four seed and they know that before the final game, does Utah try to lose to Portland and does Denver try to lose to the Lakers? Because who do they want to play out of that scenario? I don't know if one of them prefers the Warriors or the Mavericks. Like I said, I don't think that Denver... Uh, sorry, I don't think that Dallas or the Warriors care who they play out of these two, but it might be different going the other way around. I think, and honestly, I think probably you'd want to avoid the Warriors. I think that would be the goal. I think I think for sure that's the team that you don't want to play out of those two because, frankly, the Warriors were in a tight conversation for the one seed until Draymond Green got injured and Steph got injured after and Clay was still working his way back. So that's a team that's probably a higher caliber than a four seed. I think for sure Golden, I mean, Dallas has been playing very, very well, probably the best outside of maybe the Celtics since the All-Star break and maybe the Suns too. So they're really, really hot right now. But if the Warriors are fully healthy, which it looks like they might be by the time the playoffs roll around, you don't want to play them. I think that's easy to say. So uh, I think for sure in that final game, we'll really see what happens because maybe Utah's locked into the seating by virtue of the tiebreaker. Maybe they're not. Maybe they're trying to be, maybe they're trying to not be locked into that seating. Maybe it's a tie going into that game and both teams start resting. Uh, it'll be crazy is what I have to say. Uh, but I do think Denver has has a higher likelihood of trying to win all their three games and has be, and is playing better at the moment. So I think that they do have the better chance on that. But because the Jazz have that tiebreaker, I'm going to say that the Jazz end up tied just because they play. And that, and that half a game literally just comes from a game that hasn't been played yet. So chalk that up as the OKC game, I guess, and then say it's Memphis, Phoenix, and Portland for Utah, and San Antonio, Memphis, and Lakers for Denver. I'll say they end up tied, and that goes to the Jazz, which is why I'm saying it's 60-40, because there is a chance that the Jazz either tank that last game on purpose, or that Denver uh, somehow, or, or that Denver just goes 3-0 in their stretch. So it, it's going to be a hard, it, it's going to be an interesting situation, definitely one to watch. Okay, another interesting situation that uh, we talked about last week, the Lakers. Two games back of San Antonio for the last playing spot with four games to play. Also, they're behind in the tiebreaker, as we mentioned last week. 
Can they claw back into it? No. I called it last week that their season was over. Uh, They've now lost six games in a row. They've only won four games since the whole All-Star break. They have to go 4-0 and and the Spurs to go 1-3. and Or they have to be 3-1 and and the Spurs have to be 0-4. And the last scenario that's definitely not going to happen is that the Lakers go 4-0 and the Pelicans go 0-4. So that one definitely the least likely, I would say. Although, just because they have to make up four straight-up games there instead of just three... Uh, those are their only scenarios, though. So, Phoenix, Golden State, OKC, and Denver left for LA. Uh, Denver, Minnesota, Golden State, and Dallas left for San Antonio. I honestly think San Antonio could go 0-4. We just talked about teams that might not be trying, i.e. Denver in that situation, or even Dallas. But I'll bet they go at least 1-3 with the other teams locked in the seeding, potentially, by the end of the season. That definitely being Dallas. Uh, but the Lakers have lost six in a row. I don't think they're going to be any better than 2-2. Two which could tie them with the San Antonio Spurs, but they would still be out of the bracket because of the tiebreaker. So overall, I'm going to say, I think BPI says the Lakers have a 3% chance to make it. I'll give them a 5% chance. I think that they, I think that there is actually a higher chance than most people think, and the scenario sounds ridiculous, but it is still possible just because the Lakers don't have to win out. But I just don't, I think that in the end, someone will be resting players when the Spurs run into them, and they'll peak up all their energy for that game to win that game. And by the way, a big factor in this is also that DeJounte, DeJounte Murray has been sick uh, and he hasn't been playing at 100% or playing at all for, from what I know. So uh, that's pretty important for them. If he's not playing, he's their best player. So that would be an important thing for them down the stretch. But I think that one team will be resting players and they'll run into that team, take that one win and force Lakers to go 4-0, which just, it isn't going to happen. I mean, even the La- even the Lakers have, have the Thunder had the Lakers number at this point too. So they could even go 0 and 4 themselves. So both teams could go 0 and 4 because the Lakers have to be three games better than San Antonio. I think it just doesn't happen. I'll give them the five percent chance on the chance that San Antonio loses out and they somehow miraculously go three and one. But from what I saw against Denver, that team doesn't have a chance of be of by the way beating Denver uh, at the end of the season or beating Phoenix or Golden State right now. So. I'm going to go ahead and say the Lakers are locked out, just like I said last week, and now I'm even more confident of that. All right. Well, who emerges from the play-in bracket in the West then? Well, unfortunately, it might sound very boring, but I have to look at this objectively. Minnesota and the Clippers will advance. I would have said New Orleans over the Clippers a week ago, but I've seen how good the Clippers are looking now that Paul George has come back from his injury, and I don't think they will lose if San Antonio moves forward either. Uh, I think New Orleans has a chance to move forward. Uh, I think San Antonio just doesn't have what it takes right now. They're a little bit younger. I don't think they have what it takes to beat Minnesota if Minnesota loses to the Clippers, and I don't think they have what it takes to beat the Clippers uh, if they lose to if if the Clippers lose to Minnesota. I think Minnesota wins the first game, and I think the Clippers beat the winner of New Orleans and San Antonio. However, I will say it'll be really interesting. I think that the most interesting matchup that could come here is New Orleans against Minnesota because they are both very young teams. Uh, that are also anchored by guys who've been around for, I guess, a while, but not really a while. C.J. McCollum's not a, a, a high-level veteran, as in how many years he's played, but he's definitely been there long enough that he has a lot of playoff experience, uh, whereas Carl Anthony Towns and D'Angelo Russell, not necessarily, because they haven't been on winning teams, although they've been in the league for a while. I still think Minnesota would beat New Orleans, but I think the best matchup for sure to watch would definitely be New Orleans in Minnesota if the Clippers are able to upset Minnesota in the first place and make it out of that first game. But I think no matter what, no matter who ends up playing who, Minnesota will be out and the Clippers will be out too. But I will say, 
if there's a team that can do it, New Orleans can do it by beating Minnesota. I don't think they can beat the Clippers, but I think they can beat Minnesota. Again, still giving the edge to Minnesota and the Clippers overall, as boring as it sounds. But, you know, I'm floating that scenario out there just in case it happens. Okay, well, that wraps up our look at the final week of the NBA action before we head into the playoffs. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Friday, April 8th, where we will look ahead to the start of the Major League Baseball season and maybe look at the last uh, few games of the NBA if there's some interesting scenarios still out there. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his picks for next weekend's games, his Major League Baseball power rankings, and his NBA power rankings, which will be published on Wednesday. All of that on our website, 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.